0: I want emergency. Can you get someone over here now
1: to 325 Gretna Green? He's back. Please. Okay. What does he look like? He's O.J. Simpson. I think you know his record. Could you just send somebody over here? Okay. What is he doing
2: there? He just drove up again. First of all, he broke the back door down to get in. Okay. Okay. Wait a minute. What's your name? Nicole Simpson. Wait a minute. We're sending the police. What is he doing? Is he threatening you? (laughs) I'm going nuts. You're going to hear him in a minute. He's about
0: to come in again. Okay, just stay on the line. I don't want to stay on the line. He's going to beat the shit Wait
3: a minute, wait. Just stay on the line so we can know what's going on until the police get there, okay, Nicole? Uh-huh. He
2: went home. Now back. My kids are up sleeping, and I don't want anything to happen.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, You're
4: okay.
1: okay. okay. the the Just stay on the line, okay? Is he upset with something that you did?
5: Oh, <laughs> a long time ago it always comes back. <laughs>
4: O.J., I think I have to put this all in a letter. A lot of years ago, I used to do much better in a letter. I'm going to try again now. I'd like you to keep this letter if we split, so that you'll always know why we split. I'd also like you to keep it if we stay together, as a reminder.
2: This letter, written by Nicole Simpson to O.J., was found in her safe deposit box after she was murdered.
4: Right now, I am so angry. If I didn't know that the courts would take Sydney and Justin away from me if I did this, I would fuck every guy, including some that you know, just to let you know how it feels. I wish someone could explain all this to me. I see our marriage as a huge mistake and you don't. I knew what went on in our relationship before we got married. I knew after six years that all the things I thought were going on were. All the things I gave into. All the, I'm sorry for thinking that. I'm sorry for not believing you. I'm sorry for not trusting you. I made up with you all the time. And even took the blame many times for your cheating. Now, I know this took place because we fought about it a lot. And even discussed it before we got married with my family and a minister. Okay, before the marriage, I lived with it and dealt with it, mainly because you finally said that we weren't married at the time. I assume that your recurring nasty attitude and mean streak was to cover up your cheating and a general disrespect for women and a lack of manners. I remember a long time ago, a girlfriend of yours wrote you a letter. She said, well, you aren't married yet, so let's get together. Even she had the same idea of marriage as me. She believed that when you marry, you wouldn't be going out anymore. Adultery is a very important thing to many people. I wanted to be a wonderful wife. I believed you, that it would finally be you and me against the world that people would be envious or in awe of us because we stuck through it and finally became one. A real couple. I let my guard down. I thought it was finally going to be you and me. You wanted a baby. So you said. And I wanted a baby. Then with each pound, you were terrible. You gave me dirty looks of disgust said mean things to me at times about my appearance, walked out on me, and lied to me. I remember one day my mom said, he actually thinks you can have a baby and not get fat. I gained 10 to 15 pounds more than I should have with Sydney. Well, that's by the book. Most women gain twice that. It's not like it was that much, but you made me feel so ugly. I've battled 10 pounds up and down the scale since I was 15. It was no more extra weight than was normal for me to be up. I believed my mom. You thought a baby weighs seven pounds and the woman should gain seven pounds. I'd like to finally tell you that that's not the way it is. And had you read those books I got you on pregnancy, you may have known that. Talk about feeling alone. This is
6: Confronting O.J. Simpson. I'm your host, Kim Goldman.
2: During the trial, witnesses testified to the abuse. It was heartbreaking, starting with Nicole's sister, Denise Brown.
3: Ms. Brown, I take it that your sister gained weight while she was pregnant? Yes, she did. While she was actually pregnant, did you ever hear the defendant comment about her weight? Yes, I did. I used to call her a fat pig. And after she had each of the children, would he make similar comments about her weight?
0: He hated fat women. He would always comment about her weight.
3: After your sister lost the weight, did his attitude about her weight change at all?
0: (laughs) Yeah, he loved it. Look at her. She looks great, doesn't she?
3: She's
2: mine. She was always like a possession. 911 operator Sharon Gilbert.
3: Could you hear anything?
2: At first, I heard a female screaming.
3: And did you hear anything else?
2: I heard uh, someone being hit. That's when I went back and updated it. it as the a female being beaten at the location to give the responding officer an indication of what was going on, that it was no longer unknown trouble. Ron Ship, a friend of Simpson and Nicole.
5: He didn't think that he was a batterer. And I explained to him, I said, hey, man, you hit her. She's got marks. You're a batterer. And that's when he kind of agreed and said, you know, I guess you're right. Well, he just kind of said, you know, to be truthful, Ship, (laughs) I've had dreams of killing her.
2: Immediately after the verdict, LA District Attorney Gil Garcetti took to the podium.
1: This case was fought as a battle for victims of domestic violence. We hope this verdict does not discourage victims who are out there throughout our communities, throughout this country, from seeking help. I know there are women especially who are right this very moment, living in fear, living in violence. We're asking you to reach out for help. Don't wait. If you wait, it could be too late.
6: I sat through a hundred days of testimony. I heard the 911 calls where Nicole is gripped with fear. I heard the grueling testimony of her sister and friends that witnessed Simpson being a batterer and abuser. To me, it became evident throughout the trial of how he could escalate from abuser to killer. While I sat in court every day, there was another individual who showed up on behalf of his friend. He was in the courtroom to honor her memory, honor her life, and to be there for his friend just one more time. His name is Ron Hardy. Can you hear me? I can, hi, how are you? I'm well. So give me some background about how you and Nicole became friends.
1: We kind of travel in the same circles, but it was primarily from, uh, through Chris Jenner, Chris Kardashian at the time. They were, you know, obviously long, long time friends and I had been friends with Chris. So we met through that group of people. It was pretty immediate. There wasn't any, um, you know, attraction for each other, other than we just liked each other. She was just such a remarkable friend. I never had a sister, I was the only child, but she was that person to me. And that's why, you know, it was such a terrible loss.
6: Right. Do you remember how you were told about what happened to Nicole?
1: Yeah. Chris Jenner was supposed to have lunch with her. She called me just, you know, panicked. And kind of, she told me to run over there right now. Something's wrong, something's wrong. Uh, You know, something's happened. She's dead, she's dead. I'm like, what are you talking about? I just got out of the shower and I I put my clothes on and I went over there and just shortly after... Uh, The coroner had left, and, you know, obviously, I saw the blood. And then I just, you know, sort of broke down. I couldn't even process the information that my eyes were giving to my brain. For the first few days, everybody thought it was me. They didn't get to the Goldman part. They just got to the Ron part. So I got a lot of calls in the the first few days, making sure I was, even my parents, you know, making sure I was okay and uh, that I was not him.
6: Did you ever meet my brother?
1: No. He lived probably maybe two houses to the east of me. Who knows? Maybe I've seen him a million times, but I just didn't know him.
6: Yeah, we used to get calls and comments that my brother deserved what happened to him because he was sleeping with the married man's wife. So we all know that's not the truth, but How do you as her friend respond to those kinds of rumors about Ron and Nicole that night? I mean, just because she had candles burning with the bathtub going?
1: Quite frankly, Nicole lit candles on days that ended with a Y. It wasn't necessarily because there was a special guest. It just was who she was. She took a bath every night and she lit candles. That was just a ritual.
6: And how hard was it for you to listen to the defense go after her lifestyle and choices as a 35-year-old single woman? I mean, they went after her pretty hard.
1: Yeah, they did. I found myself just really insulted by the insinuations of it. You know, don't doll it up and make it sound like she was a whore.
2: Right.
6: What always bothered me when they were talking about Nicole's partying and drugs and stuff was the insinuation, I mean, that... Okay, so let's just pretend that they were into snorting cocaine. Does that mean that they should be murdered? So I kept thinking all these times that they're trying to make them out to be less than human as a justification to what happened. I just have never been able to let that go. It was like, oh, my God, this is coming after you're showing their mutilated bodies and all the torture they went through. And now you want to completely annihilate them as humans, too, with their integrity and their reputations?
1: Yeah, it it was rough. It was rough. I guess the nastier you get, the easier it is to make this guy look better.
6: Did you ever go back to Nicole's condo after the first time?
1: You know, I just kind of kept busy with them, the family, trying to help them out as much as possible. And the next day, Tuesday, we all kind of met at the house and, you know, that was the day where I had to go grab a hose and clean some stuff up because I just didn't want that out there anymore.
6: Holy shit. You cleaned off the walkway? I did. Oh, my God.
1: I'll never forget, I saw a little boy with one of those portable, you buy it at the store, Instamatic cameras,
3: yeah. standing on
1: the curb wow. taking pictures of it all. I didn't want to draw any more attention to it than it needed to be, but yeah, we got to. A- scrub brush and you know a broom kind of thing and a hose and and to the credit of the LAPD they told me later on they said that we were really sorry that that's typically something that they request the fire department to do and it just was such a circus that nobody really got around to doing that everybody was freaked out about evidence and they didn't want to do anything to mess that up so but by the time they cleared the scene they just forgot.
6: Both Ron and Nicole were buried on Thursday. How was Simpson's behavior at the funeral?
1: Thursday at the funeral, I mean, it was weird. I remember going in with guys and then coming up, and he was very—he was completely doped up for sure.
6: Did he shake your hand? Yeah,
1: I mean, very, very sheepishly, uh, very—you know—kind of out of it. Yeah, you know, and he said, "Thank you for being her friend," or something along those lines, Can I. Remember thinking, are those the hands that are responsible for this? Because just all starting to swirl around the whole thing. I'll never forget that. And then I remember seeing the bandage on the other hand.
6: So, what was Nicole's funeral like? That a lot of people speak.
1: It was packed. And a lot of people spoke. And then when we all went to Orange County, as soon as he got to uh, the Browns' house. He has gone into the house They see.
6: Wait, A.C. Collings?
1: Yeah, he switched clothes with him, come out and got him into another car and off he went. Left his family there, left, you know, her family, obviously left all of that.
6: And he left his kids there.
1: Yeah. Who does that?
6: You and I became close throughout the trial because you were there so much. Why was it so important for you to be there?
1: The family couldn't be there every day because they were so far away and it was just impossible for them. I had the opportunity to. In the back of my mind, I kept thinking she would have done it for me. I felt that it was important to have him know that I was there. Yeah. Because if there wasn't anybody there, then maybe he's feeling just a little bit better about life. And that didn't settle with me so I'm, I went to kind of dig it in a little bit more than anything yeah. you know I wanted to ask you this question for a long time I don't know if you remember um, a photograph out there of him putting on the gloves with you and I sitting behind him Yep. In that very moment when they took that picture I was saying to you have you ever seen somebody try to put socks onto a two year old that doesn't want to have his socks put on who is buying this right. and Johnny Cochran, you know preaching how hard is it to see what's going on. Blood on his stuff, blood in his car, blood at the house, blood, 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 how hard is that to figure it out? And then I saw that blood drop on the back gate that Tuesday morning when I cleaned up the blood and then nobody else said anything about it. There was a blood drop on the back gate from the very bottom, kind of out where the dryer vent was, that was his as well. And they said that it was planted. It wasn't in the original photos and it was planted. But I said, no, I saw it on that Tuesday morning.
2: Now you may remember that the defense used the delay in collecting blood from the gate at Nicole's home as part of their police conspiracy theory. Did you perform any test to determine whether or not a blood stain placed on a metal gate and left exposed to the outside for three weeks, whether there would be any degradation or
7: loss of EDTA? No, I did not.
2: Ron Hardy's story seems to debunk the conspiracy theory.
6: In all of my years, I've been able to acquire a fantastic shoe collection, but one of the pitfalls is whether or not I can wear socks and whether or not my feet get sweaty and stinky and smelly. So what I have learned is that these cool new things called gex they are solving my problem. These little no-show socks that actually stick inside my shoe. So you don't put them on your feet, you just put them in the shoe and you leave them in there. And the adjustable placement guarantees comfort and truly a no-show look. So you don't have to worry about the socks like sliding down. Plus, I don't know about you, but like those little no-show things, I lose them in my drawer. I lose them in the dryer. They're available for men and women in many shoe styles, including flats, heels, sneakers, and loafers. It's really all about convenience. I just put them in my shoe, and then I just put my foot in, and I never have to worry about my feet getting sticky or sweaty or smelly or all that gross stuff. Visit mygex.com. That's dot scom for 20% off your first order using the code CONFRONTING. Super easy. Mygex.com for 20% off your first order using the code CONFRONTING. I have to travel a lot, and sometimes I'm tired of watching endless movies. So I have been obsessed with this game called Best Fiends. And in fact, I'm already up to level 135. And you know why? Because I can play it anywhere I am. I'm on the airplane. I can play it when I'm sitting at the doctor's office, even by the pool, sometimes in the studio while I'm waiting to do the podcast. And it keeps me occupied. It keeps my brain working. And I have so much fun while I'm doing it. So I... I'm encouraging you to join me. And you too can have tons of fun with playing this game and having challenging levels that require you to actually use your brain. It's Super easy. It's casual. You can play it alone or with your family or your friends. I think that you will... Love it. And then you can tell me how you are progressing too. So in order to get the game, you have to go to the Apple App Store or Google Play, and you can download this free five-star rated mobile puzzle game. Search for Best Fiends. That's friends without the R. So go to the Apple App Store or Google Play and search for Best Fiends. That's friends without the R. Ron, we all found out at the trial how much abuse Nicole had endured both during and after her marriage. You were one of her closest friends. Did you ever see that stuff going on? I mean, did she did she keep that hidden from everybody?
1: She kept it very private. There was hints of stuff because there were some public things. You know, there were some things that were very public and I had talked to other people that had told me about some things that had happened. But, you know, it was one of those things where it's, if someone's not very willing to talk about it you know you're not very willing to push it either i didn't make a whole lot of effort to find out exactly what happened i just was aware that it happened and it was her business and i you know regrettably just respected her privacy when it came to that
6: i hear you saying regrettably but i think it's like you said if someone doesn't want you to know it's hard to keep scratching that i mean she was 35 when she was killed yeah like she'd been with him her whole life, basically. Her whole identity was wrapped up in him.
1: That is correct. That was pretty much her her whole late teens, all of her 20s, into her 30s. Did you see a
6: change in Nicole after the divorce?
1: You know, even just the the interactions that she had with her friends on a regular basis that she didn't have before because she was kind of not allowed to, unless it was in the, the course of his world. Um, she just never really was able to have fun like that. It was just so devastating. She just, she just started living her life.
6: Ron, you were someone that meant a lot to me during the trial. You're a good dude.
1: I feel the same. You guys were very gracious to me. and Whether you said it or not, I, I did feel that I had your trust and you knew that I had your
6: back. Thanks so much. You're
1: welcome. I hope to see to you
6: soon. Okay, be well.
4: And between Sydney and Justin, you say my clothes bothered you, that my shoes were on the floor, that I bugged you. Wow, that's so terrible. There was also that time before Justin and after a few months, Sydney. I felt really good about how I got back into shape and we made out. You beat the holy hell out of me. And we lied at the x-ray lab and said, I fell off a bike. Remember? Great for my self-esteem. There are a number of other instances that I could talk about that made my marriage so wonderful. But I don't like talking about the past. It depressed me. Then came the pregnancy with Justin and oh, how wonderful you treated me again. I remember swearing to God and myself that under no circumstances would I let you be in that delivery room. I hated you so much. And since Justin's birth and the mad New Year's Eve beat up, I just don't see how our stories compare. I was so bad because I wore sweats and left shoes around and didn't keep a perfect house or comb my hair the way you liked it, or had dinner ready at the precise moment you walked through the door, or that I just plain got on your nerves sometimes. I just don't see how that compares to infidelity, wife beating, verbal abuse. I just don't think everybody goes through this. And if I wanted to hurt you or had it in me to be anything like the person you are, I would have done so after the incident, but I didn't even do it then. I called the cops to save my life, whether you believe it or not. But I didn't pursue anything after that. I didn't prosecute, I didn't call the press, and I didn't make a big charade out of it. I waited for it to die down and asked for it to. But I never loved you since, or been the same. It made me take a look at my life with you my wonderful life with the superstar, that wonderful man, O.J. Simpson, the father of my kids, that husband of that terribly insecure woman, the girl with no self-esteem or worth. It certainly doesn't take a strong person to be with a guy like that. And certainly no one would be envious of that life. I agree, after we married, things changed. We couldn't have a house full of people like I used to have over and barbecue for because I had other responsibilities. I didn't want to go to a lot of events and I'd back down at the last minute on functions and trips. I admit, I'm sorry. I just believe that a relationship is based on trust. And the last time I trusted you was at our wedding ceremony. It's just so hard for me to trust you again. Even though you say you're a different guy, that OJ Simpson guy brought me a lot of pain and heartache. I tried so hard with him. I wanted so to be a good wife, but he never gave me a chance.
2: On New Year's Eve, 1989, Simpson beat his wife, Nicole, so savagely, she needed to go to the hospital. But before she did, she called 911. And when police arrived, they finally arrested him. Four months later, Simpson pleaded no contest to spousal battery charges. Prosecutors wanted Simpson to do a month of jail time and undergo an intensive, year-long treatment program for men who batter their wives. However... The judge overruled prosecutors, and Simpson received no jail time. The judge also changed the counseling requirement. Here's Kim with Lisa Fox, the advocate assigned to Nicole's case 30 years ago.
6: Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And you? Good. So... Take me back to how you came to know who Nicole Brown was.
0: At the time I was part of a pilot program to have advocates in the city attorney's office who would sit with victims in our office while they were waiting to go to court or who would walk them across to court so that if they didn't want to be in the, you know, eye line of uh, the abuser they didn't have to be, that kind of thing. I was a volunteer. It wasn't a job, and the reason I make that distinction is that a lot of the victims would be told by their abuser that I was just trying to get a promotion or I would say anything because then it would look good on my record. And what I was able to say to them was, I was a volunteer, that I showed up in the morning to be with them because they were worth it. I had nothing to gain from it. You know, a lot of them were still very guarded as to what they would say. A lot of times, outside the courtroom he would actually try and talk to her or stare her down or say you know I love you I didn't mean it right we helped to keep her as emotionally safe as possible so that she could proceed
6: so do you remember what that meeting was like with her when you encountered Nicole Brown for the first time we
0: did talk and she shared with me that there had been some visits to an ER where she had made excuses for her injuries that was not the first time that there's been domestic violence, which we knew. How did you know that? Because West LA Police Department had been out
6: to the house many times. Can we assume that nothing was done on those times that they went out? That's a good assumption.
0: I don't know what was done, whether he was talked to or what was done, but it did not end up being filed.
6: Why do you think this time was different?
0: I think due to the leadership of the office who felt that enough was enough and that they needed to take a stand. And for her, there was an issue of the shame to her children. Right. And where would they go to school and what would people say? And I know that was one of her major considerations in, you know, what was happening and her not being forthcoming.
6: When you spoke to her, that was one of the things that she brought up?
0: Yeah, she did mention that she was very concerned because uh, she had been threatened about what this is going to do to her children if she proceeded. And that's very common. And then from what I was informed, she had gone on vacation. So I never had further contact with her.
6: Are we are we doing like an air quotes there with vacation? We are. we are. So what does the prosecutor do in that situation? I mean, the prosecutor in this case, didn't they want to proceed with charges?
0: It's not up to the victim to prosecute, which is always a misnomer. It's the city attorney to prosecute, and they did. The person who is the victim is basically a witness in the case. Mm -hmm. I mean, we much prefer if she was there, but they can go on statements, they go on police reports. We had in our office, which was unusual, was a dedicated domestic violence prosecutor who knew all the ins and outs of the games that batterers tend to play with the court system to get around it.
6: What was the outcome of that prosecution?
0: He was ordered to partake in telephonic counseling.
6: Wait, wait, wait. Telephonic, like being on the phone with the psychiatrist?
0: With the counselor, which in all my years being involved in these cases, I have never heard.
6: And do you think that that was special treatment because of who he was?
0: In my opinion, yes. I mean, if you look at the way he went to get his Heisman Trophy back, interesting enough, that's what got him jail time. He and most abusers believe they are above the law and what they are doing is acceptable. Because it's a learned behavior. This is what they learned. This is what they were told. Why would they believe it any different?
6: Can we assume that that was the last time that we would hear about Nicole until... June 12, 1994, when you heard, I'm assuming, that she was murdered? Yes. And what did you think, if anything, when you heard that?
0: Immediately it jumped to my mind that I felt that O.J. Simpson did it or was involved and that the system let her down. I think that they made light of it. He was not treated the way that most people would be treated. Mm-hmm. I think there was some celebrity status Allowances. I know that some people on hotline calls heard that the word on the street was, I'm going to OJ you, which means you're going to have your throat slit and I'm going to get away with it. Yeah. And our calls to hotlines did go down during that period.
6: They went down?
0: Yeah, they went down because people were afraid that that would happen to them. If a celebrity would get away with it, and their abuse is saying, they get away with it. I'm going to, too.
6: Do you think that if something more serious would have been done to him at the time, that it may have been a step towards prevention in and, and Ron and Nicole's murder?
0: I would love to say yes. Unfortunately, it's sort of like a dog with a bone. They do not give up. As you know, a lot of domestic violence ends up in murder-suicide. Yeah. Because it is an issue of control and pride. Mm. And it is the most dangerous time for a woman or for a, an abused victim is when they leave. They are much higher risk of being killed than if they stay.
6: Can you explain a little bit as to why it's so scary, why it's so dangerous, and how hard that is?
0: Um, sure. And what's also interesting is why we don't say, why does he hit? We <laughs> say, why doesn't she leave? So we shift the onus of blame onto her. She may not leave for a variety of reasons, One of the most basic is, as women, a lot of times we're taught that it's our fault that we need to repair everything and keep the relationship together. So she will try and try and try. And in fact, oftentimes, I think it's she may leave seven or eight times before she stays out for good.
6: Seven or eight times?
0: Yeah. Because it's usually, you know, somebody told her she should leave. Or she does leave and she has nowhere to go. So she and her kids are homeless. Or he promises that he'll go to counseling and never do it again. There's a lot of reasons why she will continue to go back. And also, a lot of victims come from abuse, and this is all they know.
6: You seem like a friend or even family. You trust them with your life, but behind the promises of fame, success, and riches beyond your wildest dreams, it's just another scammer trying to cheat you out of your life savings. I know our family, we've certainly experienced our fair share. So every week, the podcast original con artists dives into the psychology of hustlers and swindlers and fraudsters to share with you the greatest cons of all time. Con artists, that come from different walks of life and this podcast covers them all. Remember Theranos founder and CEO Elizabeth Holmes? She grew her company to a value of $9 bucks, despite the fact that its flagship technology didn't work. What about Bernie Madoff, who operated one of the biggest Ponzi schemes of all time, conning thousands of clients out of a combined $65 billion? So if you listen to Con Artist, it'll teach you how to spot the con before it finds you. So please go and search for and subscribe to Con Artists on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, search Con Artists or visit parcast.com slash Con Artists to listen now. Two of the jurors that I interviewed for the show mentioned that a woman had said to them, just because a woman gets beat doesn't mean that it'll escalate to murder.
0: Sometimes we like to go into denial and think it's not really happening. I think that's very sad, but I also have to say that I think that it was Nicole's sister who said, or at least quoted, as saying Nicole was not a bad woman because she smiled a lot and went to the gym. Oh my God. You never physically have to be hit to be in a severely abusive relationship because it is about power and control, be it sexual, financial, psychological. So many women have said to me, it is much harder because it destroys my soul Yeah, and nobody can see the bruises. Yeah.
6: What do you say to people? They are a family friend, they're a family member, they're a coworker. What do you suggest that they do when they when they suspect that someone close to them is being abused?
0: I would suggest that you have a safe word with that person so they can just call you and say, Donuts, and you know, call the police to my house. We suggest starting to take out your important papers, uh, birth certificates of the children, um, insurance is anything important, and leaving a copy with a trusted friend. Because if you choose to leave, you may destroy everything, and you will need some of those documents. It's sort of like fire protection. You don't right. want all your important valuables in one place. Right. And we don't have to push it that we play into the isolation when we avoid the conversation, and that's what batterers depend on is isolation.
6: So do you think that, okay, taking us back to the early 90s when Nicole and Ron were killed in 94, do you think that we were educated enough as a society to understand how dangerous domestic violence was.
0: I don't think we were educated then. I don't think we're educated now. Which is why I'm very thrilled that you're doing this episode. I think another piece is I'm curious why no domestic violence prosecutor was brought in even as a consultant. Marsha was not a dedicated domestic violence prosecutor, neither was Chris Darden. You know, if we want to bring up the issue of domestic violence, then I think it certainly could not have hurt and maybe could have helped.
6: The reason I'm asking is because the jury seemed to dismiss all of the testimony around domestic violence. I don't think they were going to look at him and think that he could have hit her a couple of times and that could have escalated to murder.
0: Right. Well, why would they? When you are not involved in it, you can't believe it. You don't think somebody will give up their entire life just to stalk their partner. You cannot believe some of the things that actually go on in the mind of an abuser. Yeah. And so I absolutely feel that it should have been a much larger part of the prosecution, and I was shocked that it wasn't. The main reason I believe that she was killed was because of the domestic violence and he saw her leaving, and therefore she was in that day, most dangerous period of most of women being killed. And so we need to learn to have these hard conversations. Right. Because that's what true friendship is about, and I think that's what will really support and help victims in the future.
6: I hear you, and I agree. Sometimes we just need to be a friend even when someone isn't asking us to. We need to have those difficult discussions Um, sometimes it's better to risk the relationship if it means saving someone's life.
0: I really appreciate, you know, you taking this educational opportunity out of what was a terribly tragic situation for for you personally and also for Nicole.
6: Lisa, thank you for sharing your memories and your insight with me.
0: You're welcome. Thanks, Kim.
6: There was a glimmer of light. In the darkness of this case, it forced the hand of policymakers to look at domestic violence and to take real action. Esther Solar was a key figure in reform and advocating for victims of abuse. Esther, you are the president of Futures Without Violence. We didn't talk much about domestic violence before this. So, can you explain to me how domestic violence cases were handled before Nicole's murder brought it to the forefront?
0: It was very, very, very private. Being part of the DA's office, but also in working with folks at General Hospital, I was seeing women coming in with serious injuries. And at the time, it was the 80s, so I had my Polaroid camera, and I would take their picture mm-hmm. and then give them the picture. And by having them, you know, look at the picture, it was really making what was invisible visible. Yeah. And if they chose to go to trial, they now had the evidence that they needed it. It made a difference in the court, and it made a difference for the women themselves to actually see the record of what had happened to them.
3: Directing your attention to Nicole's left eye, do you see an injury there at her left eye? Yes, I do. When was the first time you saw this photograph?
0: I saw this in her bathroom drawer. When I opened up her bathroom
3: drawer. She showed the photograph to you? No, I just saw it in the drawer, and I took it out and I looked at it. And did you show the photograph to her? Yes, she was standing right there with me. And did you and she discuss the photograph? Yes, we
2: did. (laughs) Judge Ito ruled that this photograph, which was found in Nicole's bathroom and shown to Nicole's sister Denise while on the stand, was not admissible in the trial, stating, there was no foundation for it in this case. The other photographs found in her safe deposit box, however, were admitted as evidence.
3: Ms. Brown, showing you what has been marked People's 10 for identification. Is that a photograph of your sister, Nicole? Yes, it is. Do you know who took that photograph? I did. Do you recall when it was that you took that photograph? Yeah, it was uh, right
0: after the 89 incident.
3: The swelling over her right eye. That isn't how she usually looked, is it?
0: No, it's not.
3: Ms. Brown's showing you People's 11 for identification. And this photograph, your sister has her right arm raised. Is that correct? Yes. Do you see any injury to her right arm there? Yes, I do. What do you see?
0: A bruise. big bruise.
3: Do you see any injuries to the, the right side of her head? Yes, I do. You told us a moment ago that you took these photographs. Is that correct?
0: Yes, I did. Okay.
3: Would you describe for us, please, the circumstances that led to your taking these photographs?
0: Nicole asked me to take them for
6: So... In the past 30 years since you started, what has changed for the better?
0: What we saw over the years was if you created the supportive system within the law enforcement and judicial system, and people felt supported and they had an advocate, they were much more likely to go forward than if they didn't. The typical line out there was, oh, she's just going to drop the case. Why should I bother? And I said, no put some resources in place, put really strong, trained, skilled advocates, you're going to see a lot of people who stay with the case because they want the violence to stop.
6: One of the things I've heard you say before is that movements are about moments. And I feel that Ron and Nicole's murder was a moment.
0: No question. Movements are about moments. And that was a critical moment. And it was a tragic moment.
6: I get it. I understand that my brother and Nicole's murder really brought everything to the surface.
0: There's no question that the tragic loss of your brother and Nicole was a real turning point on these issues.
6: Do you think professional sports organizations aren't doing enough to combat what's going on within their culture? I mean, a while back I did some research and I had like 15 pages, lists of NFL players that were accused or convicted of sexual assault, battery, domestic violence, and not a lot seems to be done about it.
0: We've been working with MLB for three or four years. we helped them create their code of conduct and their domestic violence policy. And what I said to the MLB is you can't do it for a year. You have to do it every year, and every year we train every major league baseball player.
6: So what about the other leagues, like the NFL?
0: I said to Roger Goodell at the NFL, I still think the NFL needs to do more um, than they're currently doing. They all need to do more. People who play sports are often the leaders, and it is a way to actually make a significant change. They have a chance to really shape the next generation.
6: I agree with you. As to talking with you always gives me such hope. Thank you so, so much for all that you do for men and women in this country to combat domestic violence. I mean, truly.
0: Oh, of course. Um, sending love your way. My heart's with you.
2: Okay, Kim, well, we wanted to talk about this aspect of the story because you have said to me that it seemed like there were people in Nicole's life who knew about the abuse and didn't intervene. And perhaps if they did, Nicole and Ron would be alive today. Do you still feel the same way now? I think I've tempered some
6: of those feelings because I understand a little bit better about what happens to um, people in the periphery and people that are embroiled in domestic violence relationships. But I think way back then I was a little upset that nobody intervened on her behalf. And I carried around a lot of angst towards those closest to her that didn't step in. But I, I, I think I have a little bit more understanding and compassion for it now.
2: The Domestic Abuse Hotline is an incredible resource. If you need help, know that you're not alone. One in four women and one in seven men in America have been the victim of severe physical violence by an intimate partner. Intimate partner violence alone affects more than 12 million people each year. Nearly half of all women and men in the U.S. have experienced psychological aggression by an intimate partner. On average, 24 people per minute are victims of rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner. If you or someone you know needs help, call the Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-SAFE.
6: on the next episode of Confronting O.J. Simpson.
5: Ron, this is Jeffrey. I'm hoping it's not you trying to get a hold of your parents. Love right,
1: you, It's hard to understand why. Why are you here and not him?
2: Ron, it's Patty. I just talked to
6: Jeff. I need to talk to you, and I'm not sure if what I'm hearing is right. I am so much stronger, and I'm really proud of the fact that I'm standing and I can face the world.
1: And at the end of the day, I get to know Ron a little bit through you. Thank you. This
0: is uh, Todd calling again. If anybody gets this message tonight, uh, if you could call and uh, let me know exactly what might be happening.
6: Can't wait for the next episode of Confronting O.J. Simpson. Listen to episode 10 right now and ad-free when you sign up for Wondery Plus at wondery.com slash plus. That's W-O-N-D-E-R-Y dot com slash P-L-U-S to hear episode 10 of Confronting O.J. Simpson. Want to know more about the Confronting Podcast? Please follow us at at ConfrontingPod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for photos, additional content, and discussions about the podcast. We are all confronting something, and I look forward to continuing the discussions from our episodes over social media with all of you. If you enjoyed this one, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever platform you listen to podcasts. Thank you for going on this journey with me. We'd also like to learn more about you, so please complete a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. That's wondery.com slash survey. You'll have an opportunity to tell us what you like about the show and what you'd love to hear in future episodes. Confronting O.J. Simpson is executive produced by me, Kim Goldman, and my co-host, Nancy Glass, along with executive producers, Ben Fetterman and Andrea Gunning, supervising producer, Carrie Hartman, produced by Julie Clark and Chris O'Ryan, story producer, Tony Davis, audio editing done by lead editor, Matt Delvecchio, and editor, Dean Welsh. The archive, research, and production team includes Jamie Richard, Megan Paisley, Jessica Little, and Brianna Fars. Other members of the production team include Kenny Kohler and Mark Downing. Bart McCatchy was the post supervising producer. Audio mix done by Dave Saya, assisted by Dale Epperson. Music and original composition created by Mib Music. And special thanks to Laurent Joven at Migrate Sound. Confronting O.J. Simpson was produced by Glass Entertainment Group in partnership with Wondery.
2: Some material, including court testimony, was edited for time.
7: Answers for Claudia, a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus, explores a 15-year-old mystery, the disappearance of Claudia Lawrence on March the 18, 2009. Claudia was a seemingly happy 35-year-old when she vanished without a trace. There was no crime scene... No CCTV of Claudia leaving her home, and no body found. She simply finished her shift, phoned her mum for a chat, and was never seen again. Claudia's mum Joan is now 80 years old, and she thinks this might be her last chance to find answers. I'm journalist Tom McDermott, and when I offered to help Joan, I had no idea what was in store. In Answers for Claudia, I speak to the people who knew Claudia, interview past suspects, and investigate the rumours and theories that surround this case. Why are the residents of the village Claudia lived in still so frightened? And what can we find out about the people who were closest to Claudia? You can binge Answers for Claudia exclusively on Wondery+. Join Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app.